ball is high. It is far. It is gone to win the game. The Mets are on their way back. World champions for the 27th time. Home plate for all things Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. Welcome into another edition of the Nosebleeds Podcast, WFUV's exclusive baseball podcast. I'm Brian Rabex, pleased to be joined with Dan Bartels and Evan Harkin today. Guys, this is going to be an exciting one because the Subway Series just happened, and it was really exciting, really back-and-forth game between the Yankees and the Mets. A lot to get into as well, but those games were a lot of fun, so I'm excited to come on this show and talk about it with you guys here today. Yeah, I'm, I'm just excited as well. I mean, Brian, you had the chance to be at that first game and how electric it was. And it following was electric. Up, yeah, I mean, that. and then... The, the game last night, pitching duel for the ages, right? So, I mean, it's just a lot to get into, and I'm very excited to be on the show. Yeah, definitely. Two really close baseball games, fun to watch, interesting till the end. And uh, I think a lot of things to pick up from the Mets, Yankees, and the league as a whole from that series. Oh, let's just get right into it, guys. So, Subway Search between the Yankees and the Mets, both teams split. The Yankees take the game on Tuesday, 7-6. to six, And then last night, the Mets take it. 4-3, to three, winning that game in 10 innings. And as we kind of alluded to already, just a lot of drama in both of those games. You had high tension in the eighth inning on Tuesday at, C- at City Field. And then obviously last night, the Mets coming back, going to extra innings. There was a lot of high-pressure moments and really everything you'd want the Subway Series to be. And the Yankees win the first game, the Mets with a big win last night. And that's kind of where I want to start. So I'll start with you, Dan. With the Mets taking that win last night, things could have gone really poorly. It could have been a real poor two nights in Queens if the Mets rolled over and lost both games. So with them winning last night, they got to be feeling a lot better. But as a whole, even though they got the big win last night, where do you feel with this Mets team and how they stand as a whole? Because they've been going through a tough stretch as a whole recently. Yeah, they have. I mean, yesterday definitely took some weight off Mets fans' shoulders, I would say. Always the Subway Series will do that in any regard, but, you know, coming into this series, they only won one out of three against the Pirates. They were getting swept by the Blue Jays, got swept by the Braves. That was a series that I don't want to ever talk about again, but, you know, especially because middle of the middle of May, you swept the Guardians, you know, took two out of three from the Rays. It was like things are going up, but, you know, we come into the Subway Series needing a win. The Mets got a win, and hopefully they can turn their series and their season around. I think the big thing with the Mets last night and why that win had to feel so good, but also you have to look at it in kind of a concerning way because they did a lot to lose that game, I feel like. You had the Nimmo thing at second base where he just goes too far off the bag and then allowing Isaiah kind of left to steal home. Oh, gee. I mean, it was a great moment to watch. I mean, believe me, I was really excited watching it and I'm upset that the Yankees ended up losing to waste such a great moment, but – there was just a lot of fundamentals that the Mets weren't really doing right. And Steve Cohen even tweeted after the game, like that was a great game, but too many mental mistakes. And that's yeah. where I kind of feel like the Mets are at right now. They're just not playing sound baseball, at least in the way that they should in a team that has a 300 plus million dollar payroll should. So when you have a team 
that has this much invested in it, you'd expect more out of them. And they get the win last night. But overall, Evan, there's still, I feel, a lot of reasons that Mets fans should be a little worried coming out of this. Yeah, definitely. I think a big thing with the Mets that you thought at the start of the season would be a strong suit for them is their pitching, Uh, specifically Mm -hmm. their starting pitching. You know, Scherzer and Verlander, those two guys you'd expect to be the horses for the Mets at the beginning of the season. And really, both of them posting plus four ERAs right now, you know, Verlander with a decent start yesterday. But overall, the pitching has not been good outside of maybe Kodai Senga. Bullpen hasn't been great. And uh, this is a Mets team that's kind of seen the same – same things from last year at the plate. You know, they're top five in least strikeouts in the league, but they are 19th in runs per game, you know, able to put runners on, but struggle to drive them in, which is the same concept the Mets dealt with last year. Yeah, I think that's a good point you brought up. The Mets, you're paying Verlander and Scherzer $43 million each. Highest payroll in baseball. I mean, we could talk about if it's good for the game or not. I mean, but for the Mets, you need more out of that. And specifically, the game, last two starts for Scherzer. Nine innings pitched, 18 hits, 11 earned runs, 12 Ks, three bombs. And Verlander, on the other hand, I mean, before that, excuse me, his previous two starts for Scherzer, 14 innings pitched, 11 hits, three runs, 17 Ks. So he has these up and down games, and you could obviously allude it to his age, alluded to he's falling off the cliff i don't think that's the case but that's just my bias maybe but again you got to build good performances and you can't just go back on them and that's fantastic. obviously any fan's going to be up in arms about that with on tuesday i was really surprised just to see how shares are unraveled in that fourth inning i mean he yeah. completely fell apart which you don't see a pitcher of his stature do very often but that inning he just unraveled gave up I think like six hits five runs in the innings it was it was really like tough to watch and he just didn't have his slider he kept parking on that so yeah with what they've been getting out of Scherzer this year it's obviously not the investment that they've been getting and that's kind of the case with Verlander too now Verlander pitched really well last night so you can let him off the hook for this series but yeah the issue with the Mets has really been the starting pitching and then consequently the offense hasn't been good enough to pick up the slack and that's kind of what you envisioned coming into the season that the offense was it was going to be a solid offense but I don't think anyone was expecting like top tier like elite elite bats 20 like one through nine but you had the two-headed monster at the start of your rotation in Scherzer and Verlander where you felt confident in the pitching to be able to get you to the finish line and now they just haven't been able to do that as a whole. So they do split the series, but the pitching, it's going to need to get better, especially if they want to close this game against the Atlanta, uh, close this gap against the Atlanta Braves. They're 10 games back. So they're not really exactly within striking distance right now, but a good win for them. But overall, the offense needs to get better too. And with the guys, if we want to talk about guys that they're paying to get the job done, Francisco Lindor hasn't been doing that. He's barely scraping a 700 OPS and just hasn't really been able to get the job done. I mean, in the eighth inning, he had a huge opportunity on Tuesday to get a big hit and Clay Holmes shut him down. So with Lindor, there's also a thing with him where he needs to start getting better, especially with Pete Alonso being out. They're going to need more contributions out of guys on their offense. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. They really miss Alonso. And, you know, just like similar to the Yankees, you obviously miss Judge. But I think a 
yeah, Lindor, you're paying the guy $340 million to hit 214. That's not going to help anyone. And especially in those big situations, you need him to step up. And a guy who has stepped up, especially in the month of June, is Tommy, Tommy Pham. He's done all we could have asked him to, to fill that role, play good left field. And he has a 799 OPS in June. He's hitting 303, slugging 727 with an OPS over 1,000. So Tommy Pham, I'll give my flowers to you. He's definitely anchored the ship in a way and definitely was a cause for the first run that Cole gave up, the only run that he gave up in that double. And, you know, Tommy Pham's just kind of anchoring the ship for us right now, which is all we can ask for with Alonzo being out. Yeah, I don't think anyone really envisioned Tommy Pham carrying no, load in the Mets lineup in that's the middle where we of June, are right but now. That's where we're out right now. So we talked a lot about the Mets and what they need to do going forward. The Yankees, though, I mean, they split the series, so they've kind of been playing up and down baseball without Aaron Judge, and that was going to be the key in this series. How are the Aaron Judgeless Yankees going to do facing Scherzer and Verlander? Well, on Tuesday, they were great, and a lot of that was because they got contributions out of their regulars. So Anthony Rizzo had a base hit on Tuesday. Stanton hit a home run. DJ LeMahieu hit a home run off of Scherzer. So those guys weren't getting the job done last week against Chicago and Boston. And now on Tuesday they did, but last night they kind of fell flat. So that's where the words with me kind of lie, the inconsistency that's going to come up without Aaron judge, where you'll have a game where they score a bunch of runs, but as a whole, they can fall back down right away and have a performance like last night. So without Aaron judge, it's going to be tough. And this team's going to have to find a way going forward. Yeah, definitely. I think a uh, a light in all the darkness from the recent struggles the Yankee hit the Yankee hitting lineup has been having is the bullpen. The bullpen kind of showed in the series how good they can be and how good they've been all year. Really, they're uh, they're one in most statistical important categories in uh, bullpen. And uh, yeah, I mean these guys, Clay Holmes, Wandy Peralta, all these names were really dealing this past. Uh, this past series and really have been keeping the Yankees in games and even winning them games like they did on Tuesday, keeping the game at six, six uh, ever since Luis Severino exited. And then the Yankees were able to pull out a seven, six win. And I think you really hit it on the nose with those guys needing to be able to hit for the Yankees to be able to score runs, especially without Aaron judge. And I want to just touch on Clay Holmes for a second, because his performance on Tuesday was incredible. You come in in that situation, bases loaded, one out, tying run on tying run on third, go ahead run on second base, and he just came in. And Lindor and Marte put up really tough fights against him, and he was able to strike him out. And I really liked what I've seen out of Clay Holmes recently. He has had his moments earlier in the season, but overall his last 19 appearances, he's only allowed one of those appearances where he's allowed to run. So he's had scoreless 18 of his last 19, and I think that equates to about a 0.43 ERA in that stretch. So he's done an excellent job in the bullpen. Really both nights was very solid. I mean, Jimmy Cordero gave up a couple runs last night, but he's been really good. And then in the 10th inning, they bring in Albert Abreu for the ninth and he actually pitches really well, which I know Yankee fans aren't really used to seeing. And then they bring in Nick Ramirez to get Nimmo, the lefty. And at, at, at the, at the same time, he gets a fly ball that would have been caught on the warning track if the outfield wasn't playing shallow. So the bullpen's done a great job, but I think one of the glaring things for the Yankees coming out of this series was Luis Severino. 
Luis Severino did not pitch well. And this is the third straight start where he just really hasn't looked like himself. His fastball is still getting lit up. He gave up the home run to Nimmo on the fastball. And it's just a different issue every time where the other week it was velocity. Now it's location again. He had no command. He walked three batters. He hit a guy and he was balking too. So this is a really strange kind of stretch for Severino where his first two starts off the IL, he looked great. And now Dan, he just doesn't look like himself at all. No, he doesn't. And Severino's a guy who, you know, he has the stuff to be a one on most teams. I mean, he has ace like stuff. That's on, that's undeniable, but it's, yeah, like you alluded to, it's the control. And I think even maybe control of your own emotions in a way, because you saw that sixth inning, Aaron Boone comes out, ready to take him out, facing Luis Guillorme, clearly the guy he wanted to face in that situation. And then the victory obviously goes the other way. But um, the Yankees won the game, but the victory for Severino. But, you know, those are kind of the situations where if Severino's not doing it, you need guys like Cole to do it. And last night, Cole, what it's worth, he was amazing. He was just saying, hit my fastball. Like, you know, and for most of that game, six innings, four hits, one run. And eight strikeouts. I mean, he basically dominated the Mets. And as a Yankees fan, you need that out of Cole all the time. And with Severino, I mean, you'd like to see more out of because we know how good he can be when yeah. he's right. And they're going to need it with Nestor Cortez out. And they just need people to step up. And when you're not without, when you're without Aaron Judge, the offense is going to have to pick up a load and they're not going to really be able to handle given being down four runs after three innings a lot of the time now they're able to do it on tuesday but severino evan they're gonna need to get him right because i don't really want to see this stretch of severino to continue we know how good he can be he just has to go out there and show it definitely it seems to me like he can almost now put together a full at bat it seems like a lot of times the first couple Mm -hmm. of pitches will be painted fastballs strike one strike two and then I'll leave a meatball right over the middle that I get taken 400 feet. It almost seems a little bit like someone who came back too early from injury. And I know the narrative was that Severino was trying to get back earlier than trainers had wanted him to. The Yankee staff had wanted to. He was really pushing. You know, he only had two starts in the minors before coming back from that lat strain, which isn't a huge injury in terms of pitchers. But it almost seems like because his stuff is there and location is in a lot of these games or it's one thing or another, it seems like maybe someone who's a little bit lagging from the injury he just had so hopefully he can overcome that and become the Severino we were used to seeing a couple years ago because the Yankees really need him in that starting rotation especially with Nestor Cortez Carlos Rodon out Uh, definitely not a rotation that the Yankees fans thought was going to be out there or not performing as well as we thought they would be at the start of the season it's just so weird because Severino's first two outings against Cincinnati and San Diego they were really good so I'm trying to figure out what's exactly going wrong with his now last three outings against the Dodgers, White Sox, and now the Mets. There was one outing in LA where his fastball velocity was down and his fastball was just getting crushed. And it was the same last week in Chicago where his fastball velocity was down. Now his velocity was back up on Tuesday, but the issue was just location and command. So it's going to be something that he's going to have to work through and figure out and the Yankees are going to need it, obviously, because we don't know their their offense isn't a sure thing right now without Aaron Judge. So we'll see how that goes. Before we transition away from the Subway Series, I want to talk about something glaring that happened on Tuesday. Uh, the Drew Smith ejection, where he was going to enter the game and then 
the umpire crew checked him, said he had too much sticky substances on his hand and threw him out, which resulted in a 10 game suspension. And more so than just having one guy down in the bullpen for the Mets going forward, which is going to be tough to work through. This is a bigger issue because the process in which umpire and crew, but they check for and how they check pitchers, I think really needs to be fixed because it just seems like an unfair process. And Evan, I'll start with you here, but the way that this is going in my eyes, I think needs to change because I think the explanation they gave for the Drew Smith rejection was ridiculous. And I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, definitely. I think the explanation from the crew chief, Bill Miller, uh, just sums up the whole story of this year and the league regarding this issue. He said, quote unquote, I don't know what substance it was, but I know it was sticky which is a very broad statement. It just goes to show that this rule that's undefined can really be so subjective depending on umpire, you know, how much rosin, which is a legal substance on the hand the pitcher has. And I thought Drew Smith made a perfect point too. He said that the process is too arbitrary. It can change from one crew to another like that. And it's, you know, you saw it with Max Scherzer as well. Another guy who says that all he had on his hand was a legal substance rosin. And I think the MLB really needs to look into this rule and create a fine line or else it will keep having this issue where one umpire can think something's too sticky and another one doesn't, especially when they're allowing sticky substances. And I think it's just a huge issue that the league really needs to put a measurement or a fine line on to determine whether a pitcher should be ejected or a pitcher should be able to pitch the game. And it really hurt the Mets because now Drew Smith can't be on the 10-day bullpen list for the Mets. So now they're down another arm. And as you saw from the Yankees recently, uh, you need all the arms in the bullpen you can get. So really hurt the Mets there. Well, it definitely hurt the Mets. And I think it just goes back to the question, what is sticky stuff? I don't think that's a crazy question, because as you said, different umpiring crews have different opinions on this. And it's there's no rule in place of set stuff that says this is sticky. You can't use this. You know, Drew Smith was going behind his ear getting sweat. And on a night that was pretty humid and warm, mid-70s in Queens, I mean, that's going to happen. And it's just ridiculous that Drew Smith, of all people, before he even throws a pitch in the inning, you know, you're ending up throwing this guy out of the game. And, you know, two out of the three pitchers, I'm not saying the Mets are being targeted, but two out of the three pitchers this year have been rung up or Mets. And the other one was Domingo Herman, And another guy, Clark Schmidt, got the chance to wash his hands so i don't understand why drew smith can't wash his hands and you saw him going into each guy look at my hand look at my hand and every single one of them said it wasn't sticky so i don't know they're going to appeal to the union but it's not going to do much i mean that whole situation on tuesday i think was just a mess where smith gets thrown out and bill miller's really confident in what his words or not even confident he's just like i just know it was sticky but he doesn't know what the substance was and he can't elaborate more on it. He's like, I don't know what it was. I just know it was sticky. That's the explanation that we're giving for an ejection and suspending a guy 10 games. And he had Drew, Drew Smith saying that he was going up to everybody, having them feel his hands. And everyone was saying, oh, these aren't sticky. He went up to someone in Major League Baseball, and they said they weren't sticky. So, And I thought one of his funniest quotes was, we were there after the game, and he and the media, he was just like, you guys can feel my hands right now if you want. And he was open up to everybody. But I think it just shows that he hadn't changed his routine all season. And he had never been, every time he had been checked, because they get checked before going to every game, every time they checked him, no one said anything. And now it just this particular crew said it was too much. So again, 
it's a whole process where there's no set guidelines and they're somewhat they're kind of allowing sticky stuff but they don't and as i think evan as you said there needs to be a fine line where there's too much sticky that allows pitchers to have an advantage but then there's nothing and then pitchers can't get a grip and even scherzer said that when he hit stanton on the elbow on tuesday thank god he had a grip on the ball or else the ball would end up at his head so I think there's a fine line that needs to be found, but overall major league baseball has to figure out these guidelines because what's happening right now is just ridiculous and a mess and just can't happen going forward. Pitchers always are looking for an edge over the baseballs. The baseballs frankly stink. If we're going to be honest, every pitcher will tell you that Chris Bassett was telling us that last year. Max Scherzer told us that this year. It's just ridiculous. They need to either fix the baseballs or have something that the pitchers can use. That isn't spider tack, obviously, but something that, pitchers can use to get an advantage because it's ridiculous frankly and also the same bill miller who hosed drew smith had one of the worst zones last oh night. oh my goodness dude that was ridiculous brutal i can't wait to see his scorecard when it comes out because that's it's, what we're uh, all looking forward to but yeah he was missing a yeah. lot of calls a lot of fastballs up that were just getting called so ultimately bad night if you're bill miller there's a lot of controversy surrounding him but subway series as a whole was really good so that's what we needed. The crowd was great Tuesday and Wednesday, and both crowds were treated to great games. So they'll be back at Yankee Stadium at the end of July for the next two games where both teams split the first two at City Field. But we're going to transition now to not exactly the pinnacle of baseball that we've been talking about with the New York market. We're going to go to a much smaller market in the Oakland A's, but the Oakland A's as dreadful as they've been this year, they've been having a good last week. They had won seven games in a row up until last night. They lost the Rays, but still they've taken two out of three from Tampa so far. And it's one of the best teams. That's the best team in baseball right now. And I want to talk about the reverse boycott that they had on Tuesday where, you know, they haven't been getting attendance all year. And then all of a sudden on Tuesday, they pack the house trying to show ownership that, the fan base are not the problem. It's you guys. It's the owners. And I thought that was a lot of fun. And Dan, I'll start with you on this. Just the whole reverse, reverse boycott for the Oakland A's. Just what do you think it means for the team? And then what do you what does it mean for Major League Baseball and the ownership over there in Oakland? Well, I'll start with the team. For the team and the fan base, it's sad because they have a longstanding history nine World Series championships to the A's name, fans, you know, showing their support, and rightfully so. They don't, you know, the Warriors left in 2019, the Raiders left in 2020, and now the A's are kind of sitting on the back burner and saying, why did it take so long for us to leave? But, I mean, it's also been a 20-year thing. You know, the Oakland Coliseum has been a dump, an absolute dump. I mean, there was a, a possum that they found in the broadcast booth. Oh, my God. You know, there's a obstruction views most like a lot of seats are pretty bad you can't even see the field it's like there's been a long long standing feud between this fan base and ownership and john fisher the billionaire that he is i mean you're just giving more money to the guy by you know going to these games but i think it's bad for the fans because again how loyal they are but i don't know if it's good for baseball either because you know, it's tough because you have this really loyal fan base that they're going to relocate to Las Vegas now. And 
who knows what that's going to be. Are you going to take the name Oakland A's? Are you going to rebrand? Are you going to take it? Because there's a lot of history there. You can't just, you know, walk away from that history. It's going to be tough. And from an outsider's perspective, it's it's pretty sad. And those videos were pretty, you know, not tearing up, but, you know, definitely tugs at some heartstrings when you hear the sell the team chants and they go silent. And, you know, it's just they really love their team and it's it stinks. Yeah, I think the the action of the boycott itself was a good move by the fans. Like you said, it's really sad to see as an outsider. But I think that the fans really speaking up and showing that they have power and they're going to demonstrate that they love their team and their loyalty to it was a good thing. However, I think it was at a terrible time. You know, it's after a win against the best team in baseball, after you just swept the Brewers, took two from the Pirates. At one point, this team was on an 11-game losing streak. I think that's when the boycott should have been instead of right after a very good close game win. I thought maybe the fans should have been celebrating that win and maybe how good the team's been playing in this win streak at the time. But I think the boycott was needed. I think it was just at the wrong time overall. And I think that's a really funny point because I think this was a planned event for a long time where they set the date, okay, June 13th is going to be a reverse boycott night, and then it happens to be as they're in the middle of a six-game winning streak, which is crazy. But – I mean, with this whole boycott, it's sad to see that the A's fans need to do this. And I'm glad they went out and voiced their displeasure. It's a really bad look on ownership that you have. You go from about 3,000 fans in the stands every night to all of a sudden 27,000 screaming fans making it feel like a playoff game and they're chanting sell the team and all that nonsense. So it's kind of tough. It makes the A's look bad. It looks Major League Baseball look bad for just relocating them and chalking it up as, ah, well, it's a fan base issue and it's tough, a tough market in Oakland. No, you have fans there who really care. We've seen when the A's are good that they pack that stadium. There is, I remember a game a couple of years ago where they had to take off the top section of the Coliseum because it's a football stadium and they're playing there, which is a different conversation, but they're Un, they're unveiling the top part of the stadium to allow a bunch of fans to come in. So we've had that a couple of years ago, and I think it's just a tough situation. Do I think it's going to stop them from relocating? Probably not. They passed the bill in Nevada to relocate there the day of the boycott, which I don't know. That had to feel intentional in a way, yeah. but there's just a whole situation about it where the fan base really wants to keep their team, but the owners don't. But I think overall, for ownership, it's a bad look. And I think in terms of the reverse boycott, the A's may have the A's fans may have accomplished what they wanted to. But I don't know. It's tough because it's not like a Raiders game or whatever, where it's like in you know it's a one simple flight, whatever you'll be back. It's a one game. If the, I don't know if the fans are going to be going out to maybe for a big weekend series, sure. But if you're an A's fan, you're not going to be you know flooding the. I think it's thirty thousand people they're putting in that Vegas arena now so who knows what that's going to be but again it's not going to be that loyal fan base that you've seen it's just going to kind of dismantle the franchise I don't know but it's just it's not a good look at all no definitely not it kind of reminds me of the movie Major League like almost exactly right when I was watching the win streak you know the the fans are against the manager who doesn't really care about the team and then they go on this win streak and all. not that the hopes were up or anything because today's team is I I don't think they're going to continue having win streaks like this or anything. But I think um, 
in terms of the fans showing that they would demonstrate and proving their loyalty that that worked in the boycott. But I, I agree with uh, what Brian said that I don't think it'll stop the relocation or change the dynamic of this team or have any any other effects on this organization going forward. It's, it's so much so much history. I mean, the 70s, Reggie Jackson. I mean, the 80s, the Bash brothers, Kinsenko and um, Mark McGuire. And then even recent history, you had guys like Marte, Matt Chapman, Sean Murphy. They, they left in 2020 or whatever. It's like they, they've gotten the short end of the stick, and now it's even shorter for these Oakland A's fans. And I honestly feel awful. And it's almost like there's not really a lot of reason for A's fans to need to prove their loyalty because – They've been through so much in the last, let's take it three years alone, where they've had a really talented roster and then ownership just kind of took a machete to it and everyone's gone from the heydays of the playoff Oakland A's team. Uh, Marte is gone, as you mentioned. That shouldn't even be the first name we bring up. Marcus Semyon, Matt yeah. Chapman, Matt Olson. The list can go on and on and on. Sean Murphy. So there's so many great players that they've had that, they've just cut loose because ownership doesn't want to spend the money to keep them. So it's a really tough situation in Oakland, but I thought the reverse boycott was awesome. And the energy that those fans brought was really yeah. fun. And that's going to probably wrap our show up today where we talked subway series and the Oakland A's. So a lot of fun atmospheres in baseball in the last week, but that's going to do it for us here today from Evan Harkin and Don Bartels. I'm Brian Rebeck saying thank you so much Listen to today's episode of the Nosebleed Podcast, a production of WFUV Sports.